Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1, says this. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, which means praise, by the way, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey. Little key point that just dropped in my spirit when I woke up really early this morning. Do not follow someone who is not lowly. Do not follow someone who is not lowly nor humble. Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a fowl of a donkey. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and sat him, meaning Jesus, on them. This is amazing to me. And a very great multitude, so not a small multitude, possibly thousands, thousands of people, spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches like palm branches. Say palm branches. And they cut down palm branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. And the multitudes who went before and those who followed them cried out, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm going to read that little part to you one more time because I want you to catch it. Hosanna, son of David. Notice this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Notice they're not validating that he is Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come to Jerusalem, all the city was moving, or excuse me, it was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet. So again, they're not validating him as Lord. They're saying, this is the prophet. Somebody say, Jesus is more than a prophet. Jesus is more than a prophet. He, is he is Lord. Yes. He is king. He is Lord. He is master. He is above all. He's in all, the creator of all. They said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And then Jesus went into the temple of God and he drove out all those preachers who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats and those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth 
of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Hmm. It's amazing how the children had the revelation of who he was and the religious adults did not. And then he left them and he went out of the city to Bethany, which means house of bread, and he lodged there. Amen. You may have your seats. For the next couple just moments, maybe two or three minutes, I'm going to kind of lay this out chronologically as a teacher. This might be more like a teach, preach. Sometimes during when I'm ministering, I may switch gears just a little bit, but just to give some theological background, I want to give you this chronological order of what's happening here. How many know that today is Palm Sunday? Who knows what that means? Does everybody pretty much know what that means? I'm going to give like a little chronological order on what that means. Uh, first, um, let me give you what led up to this being or what happened prior to that week or this week, which would, we would call Holy Week. Say Holy Week. This is Holy Week in the body of Christ. So just Jesus just had a dinner with his disciples called Passover. Say Passover. Passover was instituted way back in Exodus when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was given a command to kill a lamb and take the blood from the lamb and put it over the doorpost over every Israelite so that when God sent a death angel to obliterate Egypt, all those who were of Moses' household and those who were Israelites would be protected from that particular uh, plague, if you will, because there's 10 plagues sent. And so Jesus, now thousands of years later, we find Jesus having Passover. But the difference was, is Jesus wasn't just having Passover with his disciples. Jesus was the Passover lamb that would end up leading into the Holy Week. Is everybody hear what I'm saying? Jesus would become the blood both he was, he was both going to be the sacrifice and the sacrificer. The priest and the lamb. And so that was just a few days before Jesus sat down and broke bread with the disciples. You remember when he dipped his hand in the same cup with Judas. Judas betrayed him. He goes into Gethsemane and so on. Well, now we get to what's called Jesus' triumphal entry. Say triumphal entry. This is where everybody has been mesmerized by Jesus. He's done signs. He's done wonders. His name has spread for the last three and a half years like a wildfire. And there's thousands of people greeting him at the gate. They're expecting him to drive in on a Bentley. Okay, maybe not a Bentley, but at least a stallion. But he comes lowly on a donkey into the gates. And they're laying their clothes on the road out of honor for him. They're putting clothes on the donkey so he has a soft ride into, into the city. And then we move into the crucifixion. And then beyond the crucifixion, there's resurrection. So chronologically, it would go like this. Passover, Jesus' triumphal entry, crucifixion, then resurrection. Is everybody following me? You theologians can correct me at the end if I'm wrong. And so today is a super significant day in the body of Christ and in history. You want to know why? Because it marks the first day of the week, and it's called Holy Week, like I said, on the Jewish calendar. 
Speaking of Jewish calendar, I was talking to my friends just before I came here. Uh, there are our missionaries in, um, in the holy city. Actually, they're in Israel right now. And um, just this morning, Joseph in Genesis, remember Joseph who was sold as a slave in Potiphar's house, they burnt his grave this morning. There was lots of unrest in Jerusalem, but so be praying for Israel. So I, got a, I, got a, I got a message from them early this morning. But this is a holy week for them. There's going to be lots of celebration throughout the whole week. We've had Passover, now this triumphal entry, crucifixion, resurrection. So all these celebrations are going to be going on. But, but I, 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 as I read the Gospels, you can find this particular story, some longer than others, in all four Gospels. And all three synoptics, meaning the same Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're very similar. When you get to uh, John, it's not one of the synoptics. It's very unlike the other Gospels. You still find the story there, just condensed. Everybody following me? And I, I, they call it different things. They call it Palm Sunday, like we said before. They also call it Willow Sunday. Did you know that? Willow Sunday. Blossom Sunday. Branch Sunday. They call it Fig Sunday. But I, I love one version you may have never heard of. If you Google it, it's there. If you study Hebrew words and names, if you look up Palm Sunday, there's this word that really stood out to me. And it's called Passion Sunday. Did you know that? So today is called Passion Sunday. Say Passion Sunday. Now, if, if you were like me, I start wondering, you know, why in the world would they call today... Passion Sunday. Because what Jesus went through, I mean, you know, when I think passion and I talk to a man or a lady and they say, my passion is painting, I mean, I think passion, I think of joy, I think somebody fulfilling their, their calling and feel, living a fulfilled life. But, but actually, when this word is translated into uh, passion, it actually means suffering. So this is a suffering week. Say suffering week. I think about the movie, you know, The Passion of the Christ, right? And so I wondered where they extracted that from. I'm like, why wouldn't they have renamed that movie like The Sufferings of Christ, The Crucifixion of Christ? But they didn't name it that. They chose, the, the writer chose, whether it was Mel Gibson or not, we don't know, but it was, it was named The Passion of the Christ. And so I, you know, I'm a teacher, and I love the Word of God. I've been studying it for over two decades now, so I'm, you know, studying and why, why would they name this Passion Week? And then I understood after the resurrection, immediately we get to the book of Acts. So we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, God with us, book of Acts, God in us. You see how that converted? And the very first opening scripture says this, Acts chapter one, verses one through three, O former account, the former account I made, O Theolophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles to whom he had chosen, in other words, before he left, to whom he also presented himself alive. Everybody say, he's alive. He's alive. Yeah, do you believe that? Yes. He presented himself alive after his suffering. After his suffering, say suffering, by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of those things returning, pertaining to the kingdom of God. But then I wondered, why, did it, why was it called his suffering? So why didn't they call the, 
the passion of Christ, like his suffering. I'm like, maybe it was an older English. Maybe the, maybe the culture was a little bit different. So, so I, I, I got out of reading New King James. Is this too much for, is this okay? So I was reading New King James. Then I converted and went to what my, my brother, my eldest brother reads, which is the King James Version. Can we, do we have the King James Version here? The word is different. The word is different. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. In the King James Version, when the language before it was uh, translated into a newer English, it uses the word, watch this, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion. It's going to be so good today. Look at somebody and warn them right out of the gate and say, today is going to be good and it's going to be for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs for 40 days, speaking of those things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so here's what I got. Here's the revelation that I got. This was the download. Are you ready? Your deciding definition of the word suffering or passion is chosen based on the depth that you know him. I won't say it again, but you'll get it in just a minute. In other words, there are people who go through trials and see them as just that suffering. But when you begin to love him more and more, you're willing to do whatever you have to do to stay close to him. And so no matter the cost, you'll go through it. Why? Because you're passionate for him. See, my wife understands that she's never complained about doing my clothes. I don't have to wash my clothes. I do a lot. I bring home the bacon. She cooks it. So it's kind of like a fair deal. But she's never complained about doing my clothes, making my food. I'm a little bit of a foodie. And we're, but, but for some women who may not be necessarily gifted in that area, and that's okay. And honestly, I don't think she did a whole lot of that prior to me. And I'm a little bit on the needy side. Pray for me. <laughs> Anytime I try, pray, she said pray for her. At least you've never complained. This is the first complaint I've got. We'll talk after service. There'll be a prayer line right over there for you. I'm just kidding. You know why she's never complained? I'd like to think she's passionately in love with me. And when we go through trials with God, if we don't look at them correctly, we can look at them in two ways. Suffering, painstaking, difficulty, trial, hardship. Why do I have to go through this? In order to become that, can't you just expedite me around all of the troubles? After all, you're the God who brings high mountains and high places low and makes crooked places straight. Why can't you provide an easier way? Or you can be the other person that says, as long as I get close to you through this. Because this is exactly what trials do. They will either make you more resistant and hesitant to go through that because you cannot correlate Jesus and suffering, and it doesn't bring you closer to God. But if you understood that in order for you to many times get close to God, you have to suffer. Because God, your love for God oftentimes, is this too deep? Oftentimes depends on your identification with him. Why does he allow the believer to suffer? Because the only way you get to know him. Isn't it frustrating when you call friends? Ministers do this. We don't like call each other a lot because we all think that none of us understands each other. 
yet we're doing the same thing. Oh, they don't understand. They don't understand the warfare. They don't understand this or that. You know what I'm talking about when you call a friend and you're going through a certain something and the enemy says, they're not going to understand you. When God allows you to go through certain levels of suffering, it's all in an attempt to bring you into a closer, love-sick relationship with him. And God is way more, com- way more concerned with bringing you closer to him than he is making a comfortable path for your life. Because God built us for relationship. He built us to be in love with him above all else. This was a shell shock for me when I started walking early in my journey, even midway, and even up to the past few years, not understanding that suffering brings you closer to Jesus. And this is what the revelation that I got, because if people really understood, and I think about how they were saying, oh, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. His passion for those people is what sent him to the cross. His passion, his desire, his deep love drove him to that cross. And deep passion for people will always come with a level of suffering. It costs something. If you've ever had a girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, married, divorced, single, anything that you've ever loved, whether it was a career or a person, has cost you some, at some level, your love has cost you something. Because love hurts. Love is painful. It suffers long. What was most shocking is that just these little few verses that I just read is that just about all of these people who are crying out Hosanna in the highest with great seeming passion, it wasn't passion. It was hype. You know the difference between hype and real passion. Come on, you've been to a few churches. You've churched up a little bit. As you mature a little bit, you can tell the difference, differentiate passion from hype. You know when he's in the room and you know when he's not. Is that these people who were shouting Hosanna in the highest with passion, laying palm branches, lying clothes on the road, or the same people come Sunday morning where yelling, crucify him. Because it's easy. It's easy when passion is convenient. It's easy when love is convenient. As long as there were crowds, popularity, as long as blind eyes were being opened, As long as Jesus is raising people like Lazarus from the grave, as long as he's giving a word to Nathaniel, as long as people were getting prophetic words, as long as the dead were being raised, the lame were walking and the blind were seeing, everything was okay. We will celebrate you. We're with you, Pastor Jesus, as long as you keep the crowds coming, as long as your popularity continues to rise. But what happens when triumph leads to tragedy in your walk with the Lord? Yeah, I got a book title too. I plan on reading it. Don't steal it. I haven't got it patent yet, but don't steal it. Ashes to Beauty. And that's what we do. We write books. We come from something really hard and tough, and then we write about how God brought us out. But this is oftentimes not the story of the believer. If you look at it and you do the mathematics, you came to Jesus not because he offered a life of suffering. You came to Jesus 
because he was offering a better life, maybe a better wife, maybe a better spouse, maybe a better husband, maybe a better job, maybe a better career, maybe just a little bit of peace. But what happens when all of your dreams of Jesus are dashed and you are led into a season of great trial instead of triumph? It's quiet up in here. So for the next about 15 minutes, I want to minister this message on this Palm Sunday, which I believe is a prophetic word for this house and for many of you personally. And it's called, When Triumph Turns Tragic. Everybody say, When Triumph Turns Tragic. I truly believe this as the body of Christ. Is this resonating with anybody this morning? Just let me know. Just wave your hands at me. Let me know. It might be the church next door I'm supposed to be preaching to. I'm not sure. I know it's for somebody. You got me? I truly believe that if we're, what we're going through right now is a sifting in the body of Christ. There's a real sifting going on. Did you know that's what Jesus was doing? You, you know, you ever been a part of a class where there's like graduation day and it's like three or four weeks long? It could even be at work and there's this testing season and then 20 people start out or 30 people start out. But by the end of the class, there's eight people left. This is what Jesus does with the believer. Oftentimes it's easy when we say yes first. Yes, I will, because I'm depressed. I could use peace. Sure, Jesus, I'll follow you. Yes, Lord. Yes, if it's going to make my marriage better, yes, let's go to the altar. You're going to give me a healing ministry? Absolutely. You're going to send me to the nations? Absolutely. But what happens when you obey the step that he told you to take and he doesn't seem to be there waiting for you? Oftentimes when you're following Jesus in the first year, he's holding you by the hand. Come year two, it seems like he doesn't exist in your life. Why is this? Because he allows triumph to turn tragic because he wants to see if your heart is for him or it's all about your calling if it's all about your new pair of shoes, if it's all about you, him making your life better. Every day people walk away from Jesus because he's not the Jesus that the preacher packaged last Sunday morning. What happens when he calls you into a life of suffering and consecration? You don't think God's smarter than that? God has a plan to bless you. He has a plan. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan to prosper you. But oftentimes, you might have to sleep on the floor for 20 years before the prospering starts because he wants to get all of your desires that are your desires out of you so he can begin to use you in a mighty way. After all... Alive people have their own plans. They will impede on the plans of God. But when you're dead to self, God can use you much more significantly. The believer is not to have their own plans of their own. And that's why God, many of you have been waiting for God to use you mightily. But the thing is, is you've interweaved your plans with God's plans. From what I heard in the Bible, what I read in the Bible, he shares his glory with, with no one. Whoever seeks his life to save it will the same lose his life, but whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake, the same will find it. So you know the very things I resisted from is the very things that when I finally surrendered to that thing, as difficult as it was, 
as bloody, as hard, and as, as, as hard of a trial that it was, when I really embraced it and am embracing it, the more life I begin to feel and the more fulfilled. Our flesh lies to us. It says, nope, if you do that, you're going to be unhappy. Listen, there's two things that move the heart of God the most in your life. You want to know what they are? Obedience and sacrifice. Outside of those two things, it doesn't seem like God will respond to you very much. Why? Because his language is suffering. His language is obedience. It's the language of heaven. But we want the cars without the sacrifice. We want the marriage without dying to self. We want the career without serving people. We want to be served. Pastor, it's an upside-down kingdom. Is this okay? And when I think about it, many of us are, are no different than those people who lined the streets that day, that holy week in Jerusalem. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm on your side. I'll obey as long as it comes with a house. Not that houses are bad. It's all about the motive. God searches the motive of why we're here even this morning. He searches the heart. And I really believe that we are the reason why the believer is going through such intense suffering is he's purifying his bride. Did you hear what I said? He's purifying you right now. Why is it hard? Purification. We don't shout about that. See, I don't get a lot of hollers and hoops. But this is actually the way to blessing. This is the way to that thing that you're believing God for. He just He doesn't mind giving you anything, my pastor used to say, as long as the things don't have you. As long as he's preeminent, as long as he's first and not last, when really that thing is first, but we know we need him to get it. He will let something persist and delay and delay and delay until you come to a place where you're like, it doesn't matter as long as I have you. And it's at that moment that God does the breakthrough. When you don't care how your belt looks, your hair looks. All of that stuff, you just come to church and you're like, I just want to be with you, Jesus. That is the moment where things begin to shift when you take your eyes off the thing and you put it on him. We don't talk about it no more because I know, and I've got like an 80-year-old soul, but what that is is an idol. Callings can be an idol. Did you know that? A calling. Even the calling of God can become an idol. You can want that thing more than you want him. You can want a marriage to be fixed more than you want him. You can want careers, cars, prestige, pleasure, influence, a song, an album, more than you want Jesus. And God right now is bringing his people, his church through severe trial. Why is it? Is it because he doesn't love you? Absolutely not. It's because he does love you because he wants when you get to the end, you're not, you don't lose and suffer reward. He wants you to receive your reward in full. He wants you to receive your crown because one day all of our works will be tested. The works Every motive behind starting this church will be tested before the angels of God and before the throne of God, and it will be tested by fire to see whether it was made of wood, hay, and stubble. Our calling should be birthed out of a lovesick relationship with him. Promotion should come out of just being faithful, not because you want the promotion, but you're being faithful to him. You're showing up early because I'm being faithful to him, not to John, the overseer of the company. I'm being faithful to Jesus. I'm giving not so the pastor can see my finances just to help any of you out. I don't look at it for that reason because it would affect how I minister to you. 
They don't want truth. The pastor shouldn't know, I feel. Not what anybody's giving. So it's an all equal playing field. So as far as I know, everybody's giving really good right now. Even if you don't tithe, I'm going to pray for you as if you're the best tither in the church. Sometimes knowing is a bad thing. He just wants you to know that you love him. Amen? I believe he's doing with God's people right now what he did with Peter's life. Can I read it to you? This is Passover night. This was leading up to Holy Week. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, it may be up on the screen. I'll be reading through verse 35. It says, then Jesus said to them all, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Right before Jesus' triumphal entry. Say before the triumphal entry. Yeah. All of you will be made to stumble this night because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus is prophesying that this is going to happen. When they come and get me, you guys are going to turn your back on me. You're rolling with me only because I will heal you of diabetes. You're only rolling with me because of the promotion. When I get taken, you're going to flee. When the Jesus you conjured up in your head is not the one right now in your situation that you've dreamed up, you will flee. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? He says, I will strike the shepherd. I'm just giving the DSV version. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter. But after I have been raised, I will go before you in Galilee. In other words, after the resurrection. And Peter said to him, watch Peter. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Remember this, you're never as far as you think you are. Never. If all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, that this night, Passover night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. You know what shocks me the most about God's people? Truly, is that they were shocked at their trials. Do you understand what I mean? I'm shocked that they're shocked. The Bible says, in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. Don't be surprised when you start off in your calling and everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Do not be shocked if God tells you to Start something, a ministry, a business, a relationship. Don't think because you obey, everything will go smoothly. You know when people come to my personal residence or they see a few little accruements that God has given me? I don't care about any of those accruements. You know what I see? I see blood. I see sweat. I see tears. I see heartache and I see sacrifice. Things should not impress us. Anybody who has something know that it came at a price. It costs everything. It'll cost you everything. 
If you really want to know the price to fulfill God's will for your life, it'll cost you everything. That's what Catherine Coleman said. Even your very life, all of your expectations you will have to throw away. All of your plan B's, because if you have one, it won't work. God has no plan B's for you. Plan A. How do you get there? Obedience and sacrifice. We need this kind of preaching again. I said we need this kind of preaching again. I got a question for all of you. What do you do when you obey God by following Jesus and you obey him in a certain matter and everything falls apart? You know why Peter denied Jesus? Why I believe he denied Jesus? You ever wonder that? Certainly he was scared. We know that. I believe it was because Peter thought that just because things started going bad that Jesus no longer had control. So he jumped ship. Do you think because things are going wrong, he's lost control of your life? But this is why we change gears, because then we automatically, when things are going wrong, we think he no longer has control. He needs help. He said he'll supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And then you start a fundraiser. I'm not knocking anyone. I'm just saying that we oftentimes try to help God. Start a ministry. You know what I told the Lord? I said, you want me to start a church? Okay, make a deal. I won't take up one offering before we start. Many of us, we don't make God work hard enough. And we wonder why we struggle in the calling of God. If you have to beg people for money to fulfill the will of God, you're probably not doing the will of God. I said, if you want it, give me the money to start it. Jesus' ministry exploded without money. Do we need money? Yes. Do I like money? Need it? Absolutely. I, I need it. We need it to buy food. We need it to clothe ourselves. All of those things. But we're talking about God who, who owns cattle on a thousand hills. I'm not saying don't come up with creative ideas. Yes, do that. And it can supplement the calling. But if God called you to do it, he who called will supply everything that you need to accomplish that which he's called you to. You won't have to beg for it. You won't have to plead for it. You might have to get on your face and pray for it. But we are not beggars. We're children of God. You're sons of God. You're daughters of God. Amen. Say, I'm a child of God. Hallelujah. I think about that when I read that verse to you, when Peter denied Jesus. And I think about maybe Peter thinking to himself, oh, maybe God has lost control. He, I thought this guy was going to, you know, he was going to set up an earthly reign. He was going to overthrow the Roman government, all of these things. It's like Peter forgot what Jesus said just a few verses earlier in John chapter 10, verse 17 through 18. My father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again, and no one takes it from me. Jesus' life is being taken. So Peter's scared his life is going to be taken too, not really realizing that Jesus' life wasn't being taken. Jesus was giving his life. 
He was still in control. I don't care what your situation looks like in this room and online. God is still in control. I don't care if it seems like nothing is working in your behalf. That trial is trying you, trying you as by being tried by a fire because God is doing something in you. He's producing Christ-like character. He's raising you up for such a time as this. He's raising you up because of the level of warfare that's coming in the world and in the body of Christ. And he needs you to be strong. He needs you to be fit. He needs you to be ready to do warfare when it's called upon you to. Amen? He needs you not to just be right in your own mind and heart. He needs you to be equipped and ready to minister to others when he sends the glory, when he sends the revival, when he sends the awakening that he's going to send in this generation, in my generation, and for those of you who are watching online, when God send it, he's equipping you to make you ready. We're praying for God's blessings. Pour out your spirit. Yeah, but God doesn't want spilled wine on the floor. You, 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 you didn't... Yeah, I, don't think, I don't think you got it. What do I mean by spilled wine? Wine represents the Holy Spirit. There's been many significant moves of God in the past. God pouring out his spirit. And I study, I'm a revivalist at heart. I, I, I study revival. It's what I spend most of my time studying. I don't know why. You say the word revival around me, I lose it. Just one word. I don't even need a whole sermon. Just say awakening or something like that and I fall down. And start weeping like a baby. Something hits my spiritual nerve. Somebody say repentance and revival, awakening, something like this. Oh, God, my heart, something literally happens to me. I can't hold back tears. I, I, I start almost trembling. It's like something, something in me knows that something is about to happen. And I've been preaching that for four or five years straight. And I'm telling you, God is getting his body ready. What do I mean by spilled wine? Just ask me what I mean by spilled wine. What do I mean by spilled wine? Well, let me tell you this. Just a couple of years ago, I brought the staff. I brought Joel. I brought some others who were here on staff. And we went up to Brownsville. And I never travel. I don't, well, I like traveling, but because I work about six days a week, I don't have a lot of time for it. But I carved it out. I said, Lord, I, wanted to, I want to go here. I want, I want to be a part of this 25th anniversary. It was uh, back at the Brownsville Revival. How many know what the Brownsville Revival was? Okay, please look up the Brownsville Revival. It was uh, a little church community in Pensacola, Florida. It was pastored by John Kilpatrick, the revivalist slash evangelist of uh, that church comes in. His name was Steve Hill. He preaches the message. Revival fire breaks out. They had been praying with prayer banners, kind of looked like this, just a much larger facility. Fire of God broke out. God sent the Holy Spirit. And for 10 straight years, this place was packed out. Revival at its height for five years. Four million people from all over the world flew into this place. If you drive through Pensacola, you're like, God visited here? It's like, you know, can anything good come out of Pensacola kind of thing? You drive through, there's graffiti everywhere. It looks like nothing is there. But God was there. He stepped down into a community and changed the spiritual climate of a region that's still sending shockwaves. And so God has put this in my heart. I go there. We walk up to the doors at 7 something in the morning. I felt like the Lord told me and the team to go there just on the grounds to just pray, to redig wells, if you will, and believe God for another awakening. So I go there. 7.50 a.m., I looked at my clock on my phone, and 
Joel says, Pastor, the front door is propped open. I'm looking. It was a Saturday morning. I'm looking at this door propped open, and I'm looking over a parking lot that parks hundreds of people, and there's, it's ghost town. Seven, you ever gone to church on a Saturday morning? Nobody is there. And the door is propped open. I felt the Lord inviting me into this. And so I said, I hope we don't get in trouble, Joel. I can see it now, right up plastered all over, you know, the news. You know, pastor breaks in to church. That's not his, you know. So I go in there. Sanctuary doors are like Baptist doors propped open. The lights are on. All the media lights are on and worship is playing. We go up to the front of the sanctuary. We're down on our faces praying. God's moving our hearts, touching our heart. And I felt the Lord welcoming me to his table to believe him for another great awakening in the city. I felt the Lord saying, come, just come, just believe me, just trust me for this. I get up off of our face. We pray. We're holding hands. We leave the sanctuary, large sanctuary, probably seats, what, 2,000 people? Would you say something like that? I'm leaving, but as I turn around, all the Baptist doors are all propped open now. It's not a Baptist church, but like the old brown wooden Baptist doors. You know when they have four sets? Have you ever, any Baptists in the house? A lady sitting out in the foyer. And she said, sirs, how did, in the world did you get in this sanctuary? I said, if your front door was propped open like that, and the sanctuary was open. She said, no, sir. She said, everything had been locked. I just got here. I'm the first person to the facility. I knew the Lord was, you remember when Peter escaped prison and they opened the doors? I felt like one of those kind of moments. Here, here's all I'm trying to say is the intense trial that you're going through right now. God, God, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit represents wine. You, you know how the Bible says new wine? Remember when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the book of Acts? And it says they were drunk with wine and they began to talk about new wine. Wine represents the Holy Spirit. Say the Holy Spirit. Do you know why he hasn't? sent another great awakening yet? Would you like to know? We're almost there. I want to read this verse of scripture to you. I believe it will bless you. Matthew chapter 9 verse 17. You can stand to your feet. I'm not going to get to everything that's here, but that's okay. Matthew chapter 9 verse 17. Do we we don't have that. It says this for your reference. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins. Or else the wineskins will break and be spilled. Say wasted. And the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into the new wineskins and both are preserved. Do you know what wineskin represents, Steve? A, a new mindset, structure. Not to limit the Holy Spirit, but, but a foundation. Say foundation. Yeah. I felt like the Holy Spirit say to me, I'm not going to waste another outpouring. What has the last outpourings done? Yes, we've had some great revivals. Azusa, 
one of my favorites for three years. People had arms growing out. Mom, did you know that? They would walk into the atmosphere. It would be like heaven on earth. People who were blind would see. Right now, we got to fast, pray, rakaka, shabaka, and hope that it happens by the next service. They would walk in the atmosphere. It would be like heaven on earth. The blind were seeing. The lame were walking. People were being healed effortlessly, even through the laying hands on through seven- and eight-year-old girls and boys. God was moving effortlessly. He was pouring out wine. And he wants to pour out wine again. But can I tell you, body of Christ, can I tell you, for those of you watching on live stream, we're not ready yet. It's coming, but what if God sends another awakening? What, for it to end up on the floor again? He's using the trials in our lives, the tough seasons. What is he creating? Not wine. We can't create wine. The wine is the Holy Spirit. But he's creating wineskin. He's making us wineskin. What does that mean? So that we can contain and manage what he sends. If he pours out his spirit, who's going to minister to their brokenness? It lasted for three years at Azusa, and it fizzled. It lasted 10 years at Brownsville. Eventually, it fizzled. Why? You know what they said? These are some of my favorite preachers in the world who, who are part of that. I mean, I would be ecstatic to even have lived what they lived. Do you know what they said? It fizzled because they were exhausted. Was, did the wine get exhausted? Wine gets better with time. Kind of like you. I don't drink wine, though. You know that. But if we don't have the skin, that trial you're going through, God's going to make you suffer a little bit. He will. He'll make you wait. He'll make you fast. He'll make you pray. He'll make you toil a little bit. Allow you to go through the trial. He's thickening our skin so that when he sends the wine, it's not wasted. The move of God, thank you, Holy Spirit. I don't even like calling them a move of God because when he, when he moves and he moves on, when he comes, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want a visitation. I'm past that. 21 years, I don't want a visitation. You know what I want? Habitation. Habitation. So this Palm Sunday, don't be, what, what, how does this apply? How does this tie into Palm Sunday? Don't be the person who cre cries out Hosanna in the highest, lays palm branches down, lays your clothes down, and when trials hit, you walk away from Jesus. Go to the cross with him. Go through that suffering. Don't resist the trials of your life. Stand and believe for that marriage. It's creating wineskin. Fight for that husband. Toil and pray and fast for that ministry. 
how many years people know I sit around here, three, four, five people show up to service. Well, I didn't turn around because I wasn't looking at them. I wasn't looking for them. And I'm not looking for people to fill seats. I'm looking for Jesus to do whatever he's got to do in me to make skin. Make the wine skin so that when, notice I said this, when the Holy Spirit sends the wine, there's people there to disciple them, and we've got the grit to go through whatever we got to go through to sustain the move of God. Come on, to sustain and move with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we're not talking about it in 10 years about something that was by and by, but we're living in it until Jesus comes. Hallelujah. I want you to look at somebody lovingly right now as I close. Even if it's next to an uncomfortable spouse or friend or a seven or eight year old. I want you to say this to them. Tell them, you can tell them pastor said it. It's okay. Go ahead. He needs to know it too. Especially him. See that thing that you're going through right now. God's not trying to destroy you. He's not intentionally discouraging you. He's making strong wineskin. Yeah, come on, you can change roles now. Say, he's making wineskin. So that when he does it, it won't be wasted on the floor. Come on, do you believe that? Come on, can we give God a hand clap and a shout? Hallelujah. From the bottom of my heart, I mean every, as theatrical as I just was, I truly believe this is the word for the hour. Listen, you can run around as much as you want the church pews or chairs, we cannot bypass God's process. Becoming wine is a process. Don't settle for being a grape. Lord, I've been a bush. I'm finally a grape. Oh, son. Oh, daughter, you've been waiting to be a grape. And you try to talk God out of it. Well, you said be fruitful. I'm fruit. Don't squeeze me. I'm finally here. I've got this under control. Now we're good. All the while he was saying, no, this was leading to something. Let's make wine. Let's make wine. After you have suffered a while. Let the wine settle. Then he will establish and strengthen you. Listen to this last. Can I just have one or two more minutes of your time? Do you remember Peter's last conversation with Jesus after he denied him? Jesus shows up on the scene 40 days after he was resurrected. Peter denied him. We call it the the denial of Peter. Peter's out fishing with the guys. He went back to what used to work. Listen, never go back. 
never go back to fishing. When he calls you, he calls you once and for all. But it didn't work for Peter. Jesus said it didn't work for Peter. So Jesus, excuse me, Peter goes back to fishing. And here's what happens. John chapter 21, verse 14 through 19, for your reference. This is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples as he was raised from the dead. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. You know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Look at someone and say, do you love him? Come on, look at somebody else and say, do you love him? Peter was grieved because he said a third time, do you love, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is the verse I wanted to read to you. I was walking into a Home Depot the other day. I, I, didn't, I wasn't feeling anything, nothing abnormal, nothing. I didn't want to tell you this. I told my wife this. I said, I didn't know what it meant. I'm getting to know what it meant. As I was walking in, I felt the anointing and power of God. I was going about my normal day. And I felt the Lord say these words. Jesus was asking him if he loved him three times because Jesus wanted the truth. He wanted to know, when things start going bad, will you stick it out with me? When the crowds are gone, when the success doesn't seem to be there, when everything doesn't seem to be going your way, will you love him and will you stick it out? And here's what Jesus said. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he said this to Peter, he turned to him and he said, follow me. I was a selfish little boy, asked my mother. Maybe the Lord's saying that to you also this morning. Do you love me? Do you love me, Ken? Do you love me, Dave, Ronnie? Do you love me, Daniel? Do you love me, Joseph? Will you still love me, Bryce, if I stretch you out? If I allow you to suffer a little bit? Or will you be like the crowd when they laid the palm branches? Hosanna in the highest as long as Jesus leads you to life and not a cross. Do you love him this morning? And I want to encourage you with this as I let you go and I'm going to pray for you. If you will endure, if you will stay committed in the midst of the suffering, the trials, and the heartache, 
if you can manage to push through by the grace of God. God will take you places you never dreamed of. He will use you. He will use you in that spouse's life. He will use you at that school. He will use you at that job. He'll give you the platform he promised you. He'll give you the album. He'll build that business. He'll restore your heart. He'll do exactly what he said because he can do everything but this one thing. Two things. He cannot sin and he can't lie. Bow your heads. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to sink this message so deep in people's heart. I thank you that you're purging this body right now. You're purging people all over this room. All over this room, you're purging them. You're working things out for their good and your glory. You're creating a wineskin. May we not be resistant to it. As frustrating as this season might be for many. As many people want to give up, Father, I pray that your grace would rest upon them, strengthen them, settle them, create that wineskin that you're looking for so that you can pour in that fresh wine and outpouring. Father, in these lives represented here, in the lives represented watching on live stream, in my own life, in this church, in the families represented here, Lord, because we don't want to waste a move of your spirit. And when you come and you pour it in, Lord, may it not be spilled, but may it be stewarded. Yes, that's the word for it. Not managed, but stewarded well. Because at the end of our lives, we want to hear these words, well done, well done, faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.